Hi, everyone. This is one of our most important episodes we've recorded to date, and we encourage you to listen to it for democracy's sake. We discuss the Bail Project, a program to prevent pretrial incarceration for low-income Americans, the Florida gubernatorial race, as well as the U.S. Senate race for Florida. And finally, we talk about Amendment 4 on the Florida ballot and the importance of restoring felons' voting rights. Hope you enjoy the show. Okay, shut the door. The other day I was on YouTube and I came across a video, a TED Talk, of a lady named Robin Steinberg. And she was talking about the jail system. And she's a lawyer. She was talking about how the U.S. incarcerate people at a rate higher than any other country, mm-hmm. like by miles. And how she started to find that she would go in to represent these people. And these were, uh, many of the people she was representing were people who were in poverty situations. And what she noticed is that a lot of these people would be picked up for misdemeanor crimes or petty crimes or whatever, and they'd be taken to jail. The people would just plead guilty. The people would plead guilty because they found it to be an easier route than actually going through the justice system. Right. Let me let me kind of explain what I mean, though. So let's say I'm out and a cop picks me up for theft. Okay. He takes me to jail. Then I have to go before a judge or something, and then they have to set court dates. Then my trial has to be prepared, and then I have my trial has to be scheduled. Then my trial needs to happen before there's a judgment of whether I can be freed or I would have to be sentenced all the while I'm in jail. So this could be months. This could be years, right? right? And I'm talking about misdemeanor crimes. So what she found is that people were pleading guilty, getting whatever sentence they got, like it'd be a community service or some kind of um, reparations they would have to pay or whatever. But people would just plead guilty, have something on their record, and then that would be their way of being able to get out of jail and go go home because they did not have the $500 it would take to bail them out of jail until their court date. So they were, there's like all of these people at the poverty line and below the poverty line who are treated very unjustly in the justice system because they're poor. Because if I am picked up, me, if I'm picked up for, for theft and I'm taken to jail, I have the $500 in my bank right now to get out of jail. I'm good. And then I can get a lawyer to fight my case. So I'm good. And then what they were finding is that many of the cases, if they were challenged, would be dropped because either there wasn't sufficient evidence or the prosecutor didn't feel it worthy to take to court. And not only that, these lower income, you know, people living at the poverty level are not informed of yes. these situations either. So they think that, you know, they're probably being sold a line that, you know, we have all of this 
evidence against you. You know, you might as well just yes. plead guilty kind of thing. Like they're, they're led to believe that if they don't just plead guilty, they're going to have to pay legal fees and their lives are going to be on hold. They're going to be sitting in jail. And that's a terrifying prospect for somebody who already can't afford to pay their bills. Absolutely. But do you know what happens when you plead guilty to a crime? You have a record. So when you go to apply for a job and they say, have you ever pled guilty or been convicted of a crime? What do you have to say? Yes, sir. And then more times than not, you don't get that job. Now you found yourself in a perpetual situation of not being able to provide, potentially, you know, going through the, the jail system again, and all because either when you were really young or whatever, you didn't have the money to bail yourself out of jail and give you the time to either fight the charges or at least wait out to see if the prosecutor would drop the charges, right? Right. So this lady, well, she decided she, she, she decided that she would start this thing called the Bail Project, which I didn't even know how bail really worked. I understood that bail was something like you had to give cash to the court system to be able to get out of jail. That's what I thought it was. Right. Which is true. But I didn't realize that you get that bail money back, regardless if you've been convicted or if you've been found innocent, you get the money back always. As long as you show up for your trial. <laughs> right, 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 right. Which is, I mean, huge, right? You have to show up. But you get the money back. So this lady started a program where she found donors to donate money in. And literally what she does is she posts the bail for people and gives them the opportunity to fight for their life, basically. And then once they fight those charges, the money goes back into the fund and recycles to a whole new person, potentially. And it round and round we go. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yes. Apparently they've, they've at this point kept hundreds of thousands of people out of the system. Wow. And reality is black males, more than any other race, creed, sex, are heavily jailed. And so, right, so it gives them an opportunity to be able to set their lives on a different track. A lot of times they're harassed. Some neighborhoods are heavily policed, and so they're more likely to be taken to jail or whatever. So it it just gives them a chance. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's huge. You know, when you had mentioned wanting to discuss this, I did pull up the website and I'm upset with myself that I didn't know that this existed before because I think it's such an amazing program because that is a real problem in this country, you know, and there's so much potential for people. And once you're in the system, you're like you said, you're screwed for the rest of your life, basically. Like there's no getting around it. And if there's the potential to give somebody an opportunity to at least wait it out, you know, get, give them their bail, let them live their lives while the justice system plays out. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's a huge, a huge win for people because our justice system takes advantage of people who don't have the means to take care yeah. of themselves. And I don't understand why that is. I don't, I, I can't, it's really disappointing. And, you know, just to know that this is how our country operates, you know, the, the justice system is flawed. It's severely flawed. And it's not even just necessary. It's not even necessarily the system. It's the, the people who 
have the power in the system and they take advantage of their power. And it's so, it's so disheartening. But then when you see, what was this lady's name? I'm sorry. Robin Steinberg. Yeah. Robin Steinberg. She, you know, creating this program is huge. Like that's going to impact so many people's lives. And I love how it's a, um, what's the word revolving? The dollars are revolving. So like once the bail is released, then that money is now available to use for somebody else. So it's like, basically, it's a never ending supply of money, essentially. Yeah. Like, check this out, right? Check this out. Let's say you and I are both 16. Okay. Both get picked up at the same time by a police officer and we're taken to jail for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I have money. You don't. Right. Mm-hmm. Your family doesn't have the money to bail you out. My family has the money to bail me out. I'm good. I'm out. I'm able to um, live my life while my trial is being prepared or my lawyer is strong enough to get my case thrown out, right? You, mm-hmm. you don't have that, right? So now you could be in jail for potentially six months to a year, just waiting for a trial date, right? Okay, yeah. you, get, you get to that point. You're, you're 17 at this point, okay? You get to that point. You finally get out. So now you're out right? Mm-hmm. You're a year behind in school. Mm. You're yeah. a year behind in school. So now you're in the class with a 16 year old, which already is just like, you know, life is tough, right? So now you've fallen behind potentially, right? And then now your name is in the system. So these cops are around, they've seen you before they pick you back up because whatever, they know you're, you're an easy fine. You go back to jail and for something else, let's say, you're like, I can't do another year because that's what happens, right? Like, you know, you're innocent or whatever, but you, you don't want to spend another year in jail. So you plead guilty. And let's say you're like, oh, I just want to go back and get my GD. Great. You go get your GD. You know what you can't do now if you want to go to college? You can't file for financial aid. Really? You cannot. The government will not assist you in that form. Wow. I didn't realize so that. Now, yep. So now you can't get financial aid. How are you going to go to college? Mm. You're broke. You don't, your family doesn't have it. So, so you know what I'm saying? In college like, now you, <laughs> hello, like even if you're going to community college, if you don't have the $500 to bail yourself out, you're not having money for tuition at this point. So now, boom, your life is stunted potentially. And I'm not saying that college is it. There are plenty of people who didn't go to college who've done well for themselves. I'm just saying in general, right? your options, your options become limited. Exactly. And like, you know, I know this isn't really the track that we're on in this discussion, but like the fact that this person could have spent this all this time in jail waiting for their case to play out, you know, they're not getting any sort of reform if they're, if they're you know, not necessarily reform, but like they're not getting any sort of um, encouragement to um, lead a decent life because ultimately right. if you're being in that in that kind of environment, there's no way in hell you're gonna walk out of there and be like, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be straight and narrow from now on. Right. If, if you had done anything. And if you hadn't right. done anything, guess what? You're not gonna you're gonna start doing things because all of a sudden you see how messed up the system really is. Oh my what you know what? Facts. Listen to this. True story on Netflix, the Khalif Browder story. Do you know who Khalif Browder is? No. Okay. Young man, I think he was 16 or 17, in New York. I can't remember which bor- borough he was in, right? A cop 
picked him up because the these two um, individuals said that he had stolen a backpack. What was in the backpack? In the backpack, I think, was a set of headphones, something. Like, the amount of this backpack that was stolen was, like, maybe $200, $300, right? Mm-hmm. Picked up The police picked up Khalif Browder. It was, like, whatever, I think it was 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Picked him up, took him to jail, saying that he stole the backpack from some other guy, right? Homie was in jail for three years waiting for a court date. You are kidding. Go to Netflix and find it. These are the facts. He was in in jail for three years. And part of that, he was in there for solitary confinement. I mean, he was in there. I don't know either. I think he was caught fighting in jail or whatever And so they put him in solitary for a ridiculous amount of time. I think it was like two or three months where you're just literally locked in like a box, right? But he was in jail for three years. And the whole time he refused, check this out, he refused to plead guilty for something he knew he did not do. So he stayed in jail for three years. Fact, when he got out, because he's, he's a tiny guy, right? Like he's just not big and he was an innocent guy in jail and so he was you can see the guards beat him up the inmates beat him up he was so shook oh my god so shook when he got out of jail right he was trying to put his life on the on the straight and narrow but he used to tell his mom i have demons he developed a mental health issue while he was in jail because you have to look over your back you're in solitary was just you and yourself for two three months at a time when he came out he used to tell his mom he has demons or and whatnot right uh-huh. And this man, when he finally got out of jail, I think a year later, he couldn't deal with it. He hung a string outside of his window and then hung himself. Oh, my God. For a backpack. Let's say he did it. Let's say he did it. Three years for a backpack? I mean, that's not even the punishment for a backpack, like for stealing that, you know? Like, <sighs> you know, it reminds me. It reminds me. I am definitely going to be. It's a, a Netflix. There's a, yes. a documentary it's on Netflix. The, yes, the Khalif Browder story. Yes. Okay, I'll definitely be watching that because that's that's pretty heartbreaking. Um, you know, I don't really talk about this personal story of. It's not a personal story, but there's somebody that I know or knew who had been arrested for a pretty horrible crime, and it's not really. Um, similar to, you know, the bail project, but he had been arrested and he was in jail for about a year and a half. And a group of friends uh, got together and um, gathered up enough bail money to bail him out along with the help of a bail bondsman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they, you know, the, the police have this tendency to, um, this was a pretty serious crime. And so the bail was a significantly high so it did require the help of several people but so it's not similar to like somebody stealing a backpack and spending three years in jail but this man was in in jail for like a year and a half and like or I think it was a year and a half before um, everybody finally was able to gather up the funds to bail him out but like legit as soon as he got out like they had the trial scheduled so like they will sit on their hands Mm-hmm. While somebody's sitting in jail and not really be concerned with having a speedy trial. But let me tell you, the moment 
somebody is out back out on the street. Mm-hmm. They want to mm-hmm. get that ball rolling right away. And it just, you know, in this Khalif Browder story, you know, he's, he sat in jail for three years for a stolen backpack. Three years. A stolen backpack. Crazy. And to think, I mean, the, to think the things he went through while, oh. I mean, when you watch it, and I really do encourage everyone to watch it. It is really, I, it, I won't lie, it is disturbing. It is disturbing. I don't know if my mental health can handle it. <laughs> and you know what? I, honestly, then I don't think because I, I, I watched it last year, um, around this time, actually, I watched it last year. And I will tell you afterwards, <laughs> closing my eyes, only let my mind race, you know, because it, it's just so impactful. And then literally, I think it was like two, I don't know, some years after he, he um, killed himself, it was maybe three or four years his mother literally died, her heart just stopped because, you know, she, her heart was broken for what happened to her son because she spent the three years he was in jail fighting for him. But, like, she didn't have the money. She was just trying to bring awareness to his case. And mm-hmm. but for Jay-Z and, like, a couple other people bringing awareness, that dude probably would, he probably would have been in jail longer or, like, I don't know. It, it's just really tragic. But I think, like, you know, to think of the bail project either was up and running or found his case in time, could they have saved this young man's life? Mm. Like, I'm just saying, you know, just the thing, he refused, he refused to plead guilty to something he knew he didn't do, which is really honorable, right? Like, why should you have to do that? But to pay the price. He did. And then some. And then some. And it's just so tragic. And I think it's really important that even if people don't don't watch it, maybe read up on it, because it's important to understand what's happening in our justice system. Sometimes it's easier to look away. God knows. I feel that way. You know, like it's just easier to just not know because knowing is hard because yeah. you have to deal with, with the knowledge. But it's yeah. important to know what's going on out there. It is important, you know. Um, the... So many of us, and I think that that this includes you and me, we don't want to pay attention to those things. But the reality is that the world is in in the shape that it's in right now because so many of us ignore so many things. Yeah. I agree. So as you know, we have an election coming up in a couple weeks. Yep. And um, one of the races is the is for Florida governor, and Andrew Gillum and Ron DeSantis are opponents in this race. Andrew Gillum is the Democrat, and Ron DeSantis is the Republican. Yeah. We've already had a conversation. I believe we recorded a podcast supporting Andrew Gillum. Pilot episode. <laughs> <laughs> So Andrew Gillum and Ron DeSantis had their first debate on um, Sunday night. And um, I know that you also watched it. 
I didn't actually watch that much of it. I did listen to most of it. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the debate. Yeah. So <laughs> I did watch <laughs> the debate. And, you know, I have to, and I said this to you, I said as much to you after I watched it. I think generally as Americans, you know, let me just speak for myself. I get so caught up in like, oh, snap, these dudes are lame. Like, there's just so, there's no charisma. There is no Barack Obama in this situation, right? <laughs> right. And, so, and so, like, watching the debates is, like, super boring, right? But the truth about it is, is, like, the things that they're talking about, the issues that they're talking about are really important. So I had to, like, really take the time to focus myself to pay attention, to, like, actually stay focused and vigilant about understanding where each of the candidates stand. Well, having said that, I still am in support of Andrew Gillum because there are two issues that he supports that I also support. He opposes the stand your ground law. In Florida, we have the stand your ground law, right? Which is where you can defend yourself with a firearm should you feel at any point like you are being threatened, right? The case that that brought it home to me was... (laughs) I'm just laughing because I know which one you are. Like that popped right into my head the moment you were talking about it. Yeah. So in in Florida, back in... I think it was 2011 or 2012 because it was right before I moved down here. We had the Trayvon Martin case which was a case of a young black man, excuse me, child, okay, a young black child who was in the Central Florida area in Sanford, who was walking home from a local 7-Eleven. He had left his father's apartment complex, walked over to the 7-Eleven, picked up some candy and a soda, and was walking back to his father's apartment complex where he was staying. And while he was walking back, there was a man named George Zimmerman who was patrolling the neighborhood and called the cops and said, there's a suspicious black male in a hoodie. And he said, I'm going to follow him. And the police literally said, do not follow him. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he went against, excuse me, it wasn't the police. It was like the 911 operator. And he went against what the 911 operator suggested, but out of his vehicle, and he started following Trayvon. I can't remember if he, if Trayvon started to, like, feel like someone was following him and was, like, either looking over his shoulder or something, right? But anyway, it comes out that he says that Trayvon was, uh, he felt threatened by him and that he thought he had a gun. And what ends up happening is he, he shoots and kills this young man, this young child, rather, he was still in high school, and he shoots him, and he he claims to stand your ground law because he felt threatened. The gun that he thought Trayvon had in his pocket was the candy and the soda. Not only that, he pursued him. George Zimmerman pursued Trayvon, so it's not like, it's not like he was like, he saw George Zimmerman was like, I'm coming for you. You know, he was just walking. Right, right. Yeah. And so, like, that for me is really important. Like, I understand if you're in your home and there's an intruder. That is one thing, in my opinion. But you can't just be out in the street 
and literally pursuing someone and then all of a sudden you feel threatened after you pursued someone and then you shoot and kill them and say, well, I was just standing my ground. I was feeling threatened. That's not okay with me. That's not okay with me because George Zimmerman was acquitted and he's out in the world living his life. And Trayvon Martin is dead, this young baby dead before he even entered the prime of his life. And honestly, it was because he was a young black male. There is a notion that young black males are threatening or imposing figures. And to me, it's just not okay that we have this law that these cowards can hide behind. Yeah, I, so I agree. support Gillum for that. Mm-hmm. What is the other one? The other one is the felon voter rights. Mm-hmm. So he's also in support of that, which you know I am. And so I lean more towards Gillum than I do his opponent, DeSantis, who literally, as we said in our pilot episode, is out here in court of the president who wants to build walls and who is okay with Trump, what I think is a very disturbing behavior of separating children, children from their family. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I don't just lean towards Gillum. I am all in for Andrew Gillum. I, I do mm-hmm. agree that the, um, that the debate was, you know, not great. I don't really think either candidate did exceedingly well, but the reality is they're not, they're not Barack Obama. You know, no. not everybody can be that charismatic. And right. ultimately, they're not professional debaters. They came and they were trying to make their case. Right. I was not a fan of the insults flying around that really, I, I hate when you're in a debate and they have to like kind of just throw insults at each other. And I will say that was on both sides. However, Santos sure. was... I, I felt, and it could be my bias, but I felt that DeSantis was a little more aggressive with his, he just came out the gate swinging. And I didn't like that. In support of Andrew Gillum, the things that I am a fan of with him is that he wants stricter gun laws. He wants common sense gun laws. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. We have a gun problem in this country. I, I did agree with some of the things that DeSantis said in that debate and that there's there's other issues that need to be addressed. And I agree with that too, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't also be common sense gun laws. But yeah, Agreed. we should be addressing the mental health issue in this country because that's a big problem that it's, it is ignored way too often and paying attention to what's going on and addressing concerns that you may see that could be a potential risk. But the reality is, is guns are way too accessible for way too many people. And the fact that Andrew Gillum wants these common sense gun laws is huge for me. Um, Agreed. Yeah. I'll give one of my other favorites is the affordable health care for everyone. Yeah. You know, we're, (laughs) this state is full of a lot of older people and older people need a lot more health care than the young folks that's just the reality. Um, right. And Gillum wants there to be health care for everybody. He doesn't want people to be excluded for pre-existing conditions. And DeSantis is not, he's not in favor of protecting people with pre-existing conditions. So that's a huge thing, I think, especially because we have so many elderly people in this state. 
Agreed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are, those are big things that I think the, the voters in this state should really take into consideration. The fact, just I'm going to do a little trash talking on DeSantis because I'm not a fan, you know, his original <laughs> commercial, basically, right. like drooling over Donald Trump was disgusting. But he has huge ties to right-wing extremists. He is like totally on the Trump bandwagon. And he doesn't, you know, he says he wants to make Florida better, but he's not, he's not giving specifics. One thing, and I know that all politicians are broad, but when Andrew Gillum talks about like making changes and, you know, helping our teachers make more money, he has a plan. He has a proposal for what we could do in this state to allow our teachers to make more money. He has, you know, and granted they may not work, but he has ideas DeSantis is like, I'm here for Florida. What have you done? And, and, and that just, that doesn't, that doesn't sit well with me because if you don't have any, if you can't give me any sort of substantial ideas of what you are trying to do, what you want to do for this state, then you don't have any ideas because you should be able to speak to them. And he can't. Absolutely. You know, one thing I did notice that was occurring quite a bit during the debate is DeSantis would say, Listen, this guy here, he has a lot to talk, but I know the people in Washington. I have the connections in Washington. I have a direct line to the administration. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but for me, that really, it did not accomplish the goal. For me, it did not accomplish the goal he was trying to, he was trying to meet. It actually turned me off to him even more. Here's why. I don't care what's happening in Washington. My local elections are about what's happening here. I'm happy you have a direct connection to the White House, but you have a direct connection to the people who are here, to the people who are on the ground, to to your constituents who are here. Are you understanding what they're going through? Are you understanding what's really important to them? I just don't feel, I feel like he's so caught up in the Trumpiness of it all that he can't (laughs) even see us. No, seriously. And it, 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 Disturbing isn't even the right word, honestly. It's just like, you're not for us, dude. You're not. And the sad thing is, is he, the song he is singing is for somebody. There are people out there who aren't really concerned about really what's happening in Florida. There's just such a political divide that it's going to be Trump, Trump versus the rest of us. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, and I really hope that there are enough people who are concerned about literally what's happening here on the ground and across the the, the country, what's happening in their own local government um, elections. It's important to have the representatives that you're voting for actually care about what's happening in your city, in your state, in your county. It's important because otherwise we're losing the battle to this divisiveness that's literally rotting our entire political system away. Yeah, I agree. I would like to talk about another state race for the Senate, Mm -hmm. for the U.S. Senate for Florida. Um, Speaking of, you know, Floridians getting out there and voting in their their, um, elections, we have Bill Nelson, who's the incumbent senator, and uh, Rick Scott, the current Florida governor is running against him. So Bill Nelson is the Democrat. Rick Scott is obviously a Republican, also a Trump supporter and 
highly endorsed by Donald Trump. I have a lot of issues with Rick Scott. I don't really have a lot of trust in 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 what this what this man says or has to offer our state. As a governor, yes, he um, <laughs> there's there's things that you can do that are just automatic wins. You get a natural disaster and you show up and you care about people. It's a win, <laughs> right? Like, right. what governor is not going to do that? Right. They're all right. going to do that. That is a given. Like the fact that because he responds to hurricane disasters doesn't mean he's a great governor. It means he, he right. doing at least doing some of his job, right? But the the real, yeah, but the real issues that really impact all Floridians are things that he really um, hurts us. You know, he used to be the head of a, a health insurance company and he defrauded people of over $1 billion dollars. And he's refused uh, federal funding for to expand Medicaid. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, I, in I've heard Florida, in Florida, in, in Florida, okay. yeah. So, like, yeah, he's refused federal funding for um, for transportation to improve our transportation, which is a real issue. But he is the governor. He accuses Bill Nelson of not really doing anything in the Senate. But Rick Scott is the Florida governor. He has executive power, and he has chosen to do nothing about the red tide. Mm-hmm. He, Which is you know, a big issue in Florida. Yeah, and he doesn't want to expand Medicaid. Like He's not concerned about people's health care. He's not concerned about the red tide. He has the power to do something about this, and he's not. Bill Nelson is one of 100 senators. And he's in the minority right. party. Right. So he's, right. you know, one, one man out of 100 can't really do a whole lot when people, you know, when the majority isn't going to go along with that. So, yeah, Bill Nelson may not have accomplished what, what he would have liked, but that's because he has to work with 99, 99 other senators, and the majority of which are Republicans. And yeah. we are clearly so partisan right now. The, the Democrats and Republicans alike, if the Republicans want something, the Democrats aren't going to do it. If the Democrats want something, the Republicans aren't going to do it. Like there is no bipartisanship anymore. And I, I know that that's across the board, but Rick Scott is accusing one man of not doing anything when he is one of a hundred. Rick Scott is right. one person who has executive power and he chooses to do nothing. 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 Yeah, honestly, Rick Scott, I'm done. I think he's had his time. I'm really hoping that Bill Nelson can defend his seat. But honestly, it's really up for us to just get out there and do what we need to do. I just want to note that Bill Nelson is a check on Trump. Uh And I think that that's just important for people to keep in mind. If we want to have checks and balances. Right. In the Senate, Bill Nelson is the way to go in Florida. Here, here. Here in Florida, we have several amendments that are coming up on the ballot this November, but one in particular that I've heard has bipartisan support, and it has my support, I know it has your support, is Amendment 4. Yeah, so Amendment 4 is essentially, it's um, an amendment to restore convicted felons' voting rights. 
after they've served their term and, and any probation that they've had after that time has ended, they are then eligible to vote again. Um, currently, the way it works in Florida is you are convicted, you serve your time and your probation, and then you have to wait five years and then you go and you can have a hearing to receive clemency. And um, it's headed by the Florida governor, Rick Scott. And essentially, you go and you're like, hey, can I vote again or whatever? And he's like, eh, I don't really think you should. You've done a great job. You're showing that you're doing, you know, that you've uh, reacclimated to the to society. You're doing a great job. There's no reason to think that you're going to be back in the system again in the future. But eh, I don't think so. So it's basically completely up to him to decide if he wants to let them vote again, which is ridiculous because who is he? Right. You know, he's one person right. deciding the, the future of, I believe, if I'm correct, 1.4 million people in Florida. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, that's ridiculous. So, and, and the, the good thing about Amendment 4 is that it would restore a convicted felon's voting rights after they serve their term, but it does for people who have convicted violent crimes or any sexual crimes, they are not included in this. So um, right. it's for, for felons who have not, com- not committed a violent or sexual crime. Those are the ones whose voting rights would be restored. And that's 1.4 million people in our state. Isn't that ridiculous? Yes, it is. And, you know, I just want to emphasize when these ex-felons go before the board, after they served the time and waited the five years. Literally, the board does not have to explain themselves whatsoever. If they just feel like they don't want to reinstate your voting rights, they don't have to. You can come with compelling evidence as to why it should be. It doesn't matter. Wow. Yeah. I I think I watched one where a gentleman was showing how he'd given back to the community, how he was trying to keep other young people out of this system. And he showed how he was attending church regularly and being a part of his family and trying to be a contributing member. Governor Scott was like, you're doing great. You're doing great. But I don't think it's time yet. I don't, I just, I don't, I don't think we should reinstate it. And I was just so shocked because it doesn't matter. You could be hangry and that's enough for you to be like, nope, don't want to do it. (laughs) Right, right. And the thing that I find interesting about this is it is, this is kind of, this kind of goes hand in hand with voter suppression, which is huge um, for Republicans. They, they are incredibly motivated to suppress votes because yeah. there's, you know, I pulled up a, a statistic here um, that in 2016, more than 418,000 Black people out of a Black voting age population of more than 2.3 million, which is about 18% of the potential Black voters in Florida. They finished mm-hmm. their sentences, but they can't vote due to a felony record. And, you know, the, the, what's crazy about that is, you know, I think that, you know, statistically speaking, I would say that most Black Americans um, tend to vote Democratic. I know that that's not... Um, it's not a rule, but it's, 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 a general, it's a general understanding for sure. Right. And so, you know, you can't help but wonder, you know, especially with the gerrymandering that goes on and the fact that like we had talked about with the bail project and how they do um, kind of tar- the, the police target young Black people who, mm-hmm. who are potentially at the poverty line. And then these, all of these people who have these records that they don't want to restore their voting rights. It's 
all part of voter suppression because they know that if we cannot, I mean, I don't know if they know, but you know, there's a greater likelihood that if we all were given the opportunity, mm -hmm. the time, mm -hmm. and the ease of voting, that they wouldn't have the power that they have. And they take Absolutely. advantage of that. I think, it's, I think there's no question of it. Like, let's be very honest. They know what they, the rules, they are bending the rules in their favor. So if they have where they can isolate or remove a part of the population that would vote for the other party, if you're going to exclude them from having the ability to contribute to your opponent winning, of course, that's what they're doing. But it's really sad because literally what America was built on, like just, just think about this real quick, right? Do you remember the Boston Tea Party mm -hmm. where they took the tea and they threw it into the ocean? Mm -hmm. Do you remember why they did that? Mm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's like okay. for alcohol or something. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> they did it. <laughs> I'm excited. That was wrong. That it was, was wrong. so wrong. Now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was wrong. That was wrong. But no, the reason they did it is because they said no taxation without representation. Right. That's what that one was. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> No, but for real, think about this. These people, these felons, if as a, as a part of society, if they have a job, they're paying taxes, but they do not have a choice in choosing their representatives. So they're having taxation without representation, yep. which is literally what America was built upon. It's literally anti-American. Fact. But I mean, if we can spin the spin the rules to work in our favor, why not? But we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity in Florida in the coming week to be mobilized and to get out there and vote for Amendment Four. Yes. Can we? What? How? Which way do we vote to make sure that we have the amendment changed? Is it yes or no? We vote yes. We vote yes vote on yes Amendment on, Four. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, I'm going to share a text message I got this evening. I will leave out the name, but it said, Hi, Andy. This is so-and-so. This November, Amendment 4 gives you the power to restore the vote to 1.4 million Floridians with past convictions who've completed their sentence. Will you vote yes on 4? And I replied and I said, without a doubt, I will be voting yes on 4. Thanks for doing what you do. I love that these messages are going out. And I just want to emphasize, too, that this is a bipartisan thing. There are a uh -huh. lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans who support this amendment. I think it has a really good chance of passing, but we all just have to make sure we get out there and vote. Absolutely. And can you remind people when we can start voting? Yes. Um, early voting opens up on October 22nd. And if you go to vote.org, you can also get information on where you need to go to vote. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, there's lots of information there. If you need to check and make sure your registration is accurate, where you vote, how you can do an absentee ballot, probably even early voting. I haven't um, dug through that because I already know mine, but vote.org is a huge 
resource. If you don't know, go there. No, it's important. Like, seriously, guys, be informed. Be informed of what's happening in your neighborhood. I'm going to raise my hand on this one. I have been guilty in the past of only showing up for, like, the big elections. And what I mean is, like, the presidential elections. But literally what affects your day-to-day is what's happening in your local elections. So get out. Please vote yes on Amendment 4 if you feel so inclined. Share with your friends and family. It's really important for all of us to be mobilized and get out there and make a difference. Honestly. Thanks for joining the conversation. We're your hosts, Andy Anderson and Naya Tang. If you like this episode, please follow and like us on Facebook at Shut the Door Podcast. Join us next week for another episode of Shut the Door. Shut the Door.